Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, Beyond the Baseline is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy sports. More winners, more payouts than any other site. Enter the promo code BEYOND at FanDuel.com. Enter a risk-free tournament. Get back up to 10 bucks. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for your favorite events, sports, concerts, theater. Download the SeatGeek app. Enter our code BEYOND for $20 off your first purchase. I think tennis is one of the best sports in the world. Uh, a lot of people are playing, but I think, unfortunately, not a lot of people are following. And that's the something that I think will need to change. Some Somebody who is ranked number 10 or 15 in the world, if he walks in a New York City out, outside of the U.S. Open, it's very unlikely he'll be recognized, while somebody who plays for New York Knicks will be highly recognized. So I think there's, there's definitely something that uh, you need to bring tennis closer to the people. everyone, John Wertheim here. Welcome back to 2016. It's the Beyond the Baseline tennis podcast from Sports Illustrated. We're going to start to get these going again before Australia. Next week, we will preview the Australian Open with Lindsay Davenport. And by having my just said that and memorialized it, now she has to do it. This week, though, we have another former player. Great guy, New York resident, former top 10 ATPer former vanquisher of Roger Federer at Wimbledon, no less, Mario Ancic. How are you? Hi. Hi. All good. How do you feel happy about New being Year our first guest? Yeah, happy, happy New Year to, uh, to you as well. We're recording this uh, first week of 2016. Where, uh, where are you? I'm uh, currently in, in New York. I'm working in investment banking in Credit Suisse. Uh, so I'm in uh, cold New York currently. How long have you been on the job now? Uh, I've been a while. Uh, I graduated last year from uh, Columbia Law School, and as soon as I graduated, I moved here. So I've been I've been in New York now for uh, for four years. You like this town, don't you? I do. I do. I really do. Great friends, 
great experience, tons of sports. Um, so it's pretty good. So you are 31 years old, and it's been Correct. a while since you've been been a while since you've been out there playing. But uh, I'm looking at these ages, and you're you know you're you're younger than a certain Swiss player who's still out there. You're younger than David Ferrer. You're about same age as Stan Wawrinka. Does it cross your mind to give tennis one more shot? I mean, how, how far removed are you from saying, boy, I was a top 10 player not that long ago? Um, it's, it's been a while. It's been a tough transition. Um, but I have to say, it's, it's uh, you know, as, as hard it was when the doctors told me I have to stop with professional sports and move to something else. I have to say now, looking back, it's been almost, um, I would say, like, almost seven, eight years, um, you know, going to the locker room these days and talking to all my friends, as you mentioned, who are still playing, it's fun because uh, I can say that I played with, with the best. I, you know, I played with all of them. I beat some, I lost some, but um, I would say I'm, I'm proud to be a part of, I would say, one of the most successful generations in the history of tennis. And... Um, also having a chance to move into something else and, um, you know, having the experience of, of going back to school and, and uh, you know, working in uh, New York and Wall Street. So when I look back, I obviously, there are, there are some times that I, um, you know, when it was extremely sad and, 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 and tough to understand why everything happened the way it did, but then, um, you know, he also gave me opportunity to uh, to meet tons of other people, and um, and uh, after all, also do something else and and live in New York. If we loosen up your arm a little bit and give you ten serves right now, how, how fast are those coming in? Oh, I can, I can, I can still, uh, you know, I can still hit it pretty hard. I'm, uh, I'm still in a pretty good shape. Uh, so I can I can crack uh, something around that. I mean, I don't with with few serves. I think I can go back to, to serving as I serve full. The the problem the problem is just repeating it at seven eight hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what that, uh, that's an issue. Right. I, I, but I remember. Did, didn't you tell me that you were? Uh, tell me if I get the story right. But did you not warm up uh, or hit with Djokovic before he played in the uh, Indian Wells final last year? It was before Indian Wells Finals and then also before the U.S. Open Finals. And you got out there on the practice court and still hit around with him. Yeah, I've been, I've been hitting with him. I even heard some people in the crowd calling Mario if I'm coming back. Um, unfortunately, I didn't come back. I was going to say, how would you respond to, to that? It's, it's fun to hit with a, with a friend before uh, such a big match. And you're still friends with a good number of the guys out there, aren't you? Yeah, I'm pretty close with, with most of them still, yeah. So let's keep talking about this transition, because I, I know the ATP has, has held you up and is, is understandably very proud of how you ma- made this transition from being a top 10 player to you're still in your late 20s and you have a law degree and you're, you're going to law school at Columbia. Is that something that, that seemed natural to you? Was there a point where you said, you know what, my, my tennis career, sadly, is going to be over before I want it to do, and I need to, to think about what's next. I mean, how, how did that even come about? No, it was, it was much more, um, 
it was much more by chance than than me planning anything. Um, obviously, with with my with my injuries and my you know illness that I had, it's been basically told to me by doctors that I have to start looking into something else. That unfortunately, my body anymore can can deal with um, things that you have to deal as a professional athlete, and um, that I have to start looking for a new career. So obviously, it was it was a hard hit. At that time, uh, basically dedicated 15 years of my life to, um, you know, playing junior tournaments in Croatia, uh, working hard, working your way up, uh, becoming a pro, playing Davis Cup for your country, winning Davis Cup, becoming one of you know top 10 player, and still being you know one of the youngest top 10 at that time. Um, you know, everything kind of stopped from one moment to another. Uh, and it was it was a difficult thing to to deal with that and but I think as in you know I was extremely lucky and extremely blessed to have chances and and uh, after my tennis career and meet the right people that were guiding me together with my family and um, in in learning what's the next step for me because that's that's what's happening for you know that's the step that you need to do as an athlete because it's one of the shortest career ever. Obviously, I, I was planning to do it when I was 32, 33 years old. Right, right. Now I have to do it when I was 25, 26. So uh, I was, I, like, as, as I said, I was very lucky and blessed to have people who were giving me good advices and, and telling me to go to grad school. Uh, I did my undergrad back in Croatia, and I was looking whether I, uh, you know, whether I do my JD degree or do my MBA degree, but something that I would obviously helped me to make that transition and um you know i i did my jd at columbia i had amazing three years where i was sharing classroom with one of the smartest people in the united states and and abroad and um um you know it was it was definitely it was definitely an incredible experience and put me in a position to um you know to do other stuff as well Sorry, are you are you practicing now, or you're you're full time in banking? I work in banking full time. Why why did you choose banking over law? Curious. Um, I mean, it's it's, a, it's not as you're working still on the same kind of transactions, so it's it's very transaction orientated. Um, you know, we are we are working on a you know multi million dollar deals. The the only thing is, uh, I just find. Uh, banking was a little bit more uh, business orientated and a little bit closer to the clients, understanding some other set of skills that I that I felt would be very helpful in in my fu- in future. Uh, I think it's very helpful to have a legal background, understanding and um, you know how to how to structure a deal, but also having that uh, you know business experience, being in the boardroom and understanding. Uh, you know, how much do you pay for a company that we're buying? You know, what are the assumptions? What are the growth of the company? Uh, and, and um, you know, how to work with, with the numbers was something that I felt would be uh, very beneficial to, um, you know, to my future. So when athletes go to work in, in corporate America, um, you know, a lot of times we hear that the teamwork is, is a strength and they know how to set goals and perseverance. I mean, there are all sorts of virtues from sports that, that carry over. But but I'm curious for you what what's been the hard part? I mean what what's something that they you you didn't get as a professional athlete that you had to learn in your late 20s early 30s? 
Uh, I think like a lot of the things that you that you have is those intangible things um, that you you can't really touch or it's, you you don't see straight away. But as you mentioned, like dealing with pressure, hard work, perseverance. Um, but something that you have to learn is is the substance of your work. And um, I would say, as you know, as, as you work day to day in, in TV or writing, like you got a master or, or when I was in the core, you got a master your day to day work, um, you know, hitting a lot of balls and, and figuring out the tactics and, and working on your shots. That's the something that now, you know, you have to take all these intangible things, but which will help you in order to master your new craft. Um, and that's, that's basically the, the transition that, you know, a lot of athletes and uh, I know a lot of them there are on Wall Street or in law firms or in, <clears throat> in corporate America, they are using all those intangible skills that you already have. But now it's, you know, you're not hitting balls anymore. Now you're trying to figure out how to buy a company. And all, obviously that's, that's a set of skills that are very specific and that's a craft that you have to master now. You see the big short? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to see next few days. I, I won't tell you how it ends. Um, no, please don't. Go, no, go, go see it. All right, let's take a quick break to pay some bills. The NFL regular season is over. Roughly a quarter of the league's head coaches now are unemployed. And what about you? How did your fantasy team do this year? You know what? Don't even answer that because season-long leagues are so old-fashioned. That's for another year. This year on FanDuel, play for cash all the way up to the Super Bowl. You can also start a listener league, compete with your friends, play on FanDuel.com, use the code BEYOND, and your first tournament is risk-free. What do we mean by that? Any contest up to 10 bucks. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, don't worry about it. They'll refund your account. FanDuel's the best place for one-week Fantasy football, building a team is easy, it's fun, pick your players, stay under the salary cap, entry fees start as low as just a buck, If you take a week off, take a week off, think you know fantasy football, come prove it on FanDuel.com, and again, use the code BEYOND to sign up now, it's right in the upper right hand corner under the microphone, here's the offer, enter a league, and if you don't win, no worries, FanDuel refunds the money, that's any contest you want, up to 10 bucks. Andy Dalton gets hurt during a game, no problem. Sign up for FanDuel.com, use the code BEYOND. Again, make the deposit, choose your league. If you don't win, you get the money right back in your account. Sounds like a pretty good deal. The only way to get in on this offer, though, is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use the code BEYOND. So you, so you wrote a thesis in law school. ATP yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What what is the uh, what what does the ATP of tomorrow look like? From from I, mean, um, I don't know from a business perspective. I mean, how, how do you assess the yeah, ATP right I, now I as think, a business? Yeah, I think I think so. I, I did my uh, um, you know obviously I was in New York. I was very involved in, in uh, while I was studying. Uh, I was involved with um, in different sports. I would say particularly on a business perspective of of NBA. Um, and I would just say from, as, as, as a business person now, I would, I would like to see, you know, obviously changes in tennis, uh, which I think the main one would be how to bring obviously more 
more people to uh, to, to to have that experience uh, of you know feeling what the main athletes are feeling. Um, you know, I think it's been a huge transition in the NBA or NFL uh, when you know coaches and players have mics, so you know what they're talking about. You you, you feel when they're stressed. You know when they're you know what they're saying. If there's any trash talking, like or you had those in, in the locker rooms when the coach is is talking before the big game. And I think the way that you know TV, you know television is is such a powerful um, um, such a powerful thing. And I and I really really appreciate you and everybody who are around tennis and the media. But I feel uh players would need to take that step as well and understanding you guys are our friends and we are in the same business and trying to get as many people to watch uh get more exciting um you know add more things i think tennis is one of the best sports in the world uh, a lot of people are playing but i think unfortunately not a lot of people are following um and that's the something that i think will need to change um and i would just you know draw the line of you know some somebody who is ranked number 10 or 15 in the world if he walks in a new york city out outside of the u.s open it's very unlikely he'll be recognized while somebody who plays for new york knicks will be highly recognized um so you know I, i feel there's there's tons of work to be done i think it's super exciting sport i think it's it gave me so much and uh um, and I know, and I know there's, there's tons of people who love tennis and who play a lot of tennis, uh, as an amateur here in the city. So I think there's, there's definitely something that, uh, you need to bring tennis closer to the people. So if you, you went in the ATP locker room and you said, we're going to put microphones on the court and the fans need to really get a sense of what it's like during the match, top, top 20 guys, how, how many of them are agreeing to that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is there has been uh, some pushback in in the past, but I think uh, you know the, the the guys who are now in, in in the role of deciding, I think they're very business savvy, and if you if, if you know, I think the way that they come methodically and, and use their time to master their craft, I think if, if there are people who. Um, who can explain them why are they doing and, and what are they trying to achieve and how that's going to re- reflect on, on their, um, you know, on prize money, on, on revenues, on sponsorships, uh, etc. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, players will be uh, more than happy to, to um, you know, to make some adjustments. Um, I mean, I would just say, you know, it's... it's uh, as as a powerful as is TV, I think there is such a such a huge growth opportunity for sports in particular because it's the only one of the only contents that you have to watch live these exactly. days. Exactly. No, no um, one. Uh, there is no one DVR exactly. sports. Exactly, and if you look at it, there's so you know there's Netflix. If you want to watch shows, you watch in your free time. But if you want to watch live. Um, if you want to watch the finals of U.S. Open, there's only one moment where you're going to watch it, and that's live. And I think that's something that um, you know sports is, is taking advantage of. I think tennis is still a little bit behind all the major U.S. sports. Uh, and I and I see you know in, in the future of um, you know that would be the step that they that they need to take. I would ju- and I will also add 
tennis has the huge international component, such as the NBA, um, because it is one of the most recognizably recognized international sports in the world. Um, and I just feel there is, you know, there is just there's there's plenty of opportunities, and you know, I, I feel that you know there, there there could be a lot of good things done. So, what, what do you think of this idea? We have players from the United States who are playing. In the U.S. and in South America, there are only three time zones. The flights are, are not particularly long. We'll put more events in the U.S. The players in Europe will play European events. Players in Asia play Asian and Australian events. Everybody comes together at the four majors. Three three regional tours, everybody comes together for the slams. Yay, yay or nay? Um, I mean... It's 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 kind of like already that that's almost the way it is now. I mean, it's not as very stringent and and regulated, but you know, almost it is. I mean, if you look at it, everybody are in Australia now. After that, I mean, I used to play the European circuit indoor, and most of the European players were there anyway. Uh, most of the U.S. guys were playing, you know, Memphis and San Jose, um, uh, and you know, Scottsdale that. Um, before Indian Wells and Kibbutz came, and most of the South Americans and some Spanish guys uh, were playing clay. Sure. So I think there is, there is already, um, you know, maybe as as not as you know stringent or official as, as you mentioned, but there there is already similar, um, you know, situation happening and uh, in 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 current um, you know in current ATP schedule. Um, that's interesting. Let, let me, if uh, as long as we're talking business, if a tennis player makes a hundred dollars at a tournament, a thousand dollars, what a ten thousand dollars, and by the time it's it's taxed out, and maybe his management company takes a little bit, and he's paying for his travel, how how much of uh, of every hundred dollars does do you think a player actually keeps? Well, I would just say that there is such a misconception about tennis. Um, that tennis players are, you know, earning, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, because obviously Roger and Rafa and Novak are so marketable and doing so well. But you go a little bit down the list, and I would just say that unless you're, you know, regularly top 30 or 40 player in the world, it's very hard for you to make, you know, a good amount of money of living. Um you know, now we're comparing. Obviously, you got you got to compare apples to apples, and you know, apples and oranges. Obviously, if you if you put tennis versus weightlifting or tennis versus rowing, <laughs> yes, you you get paid well. But if you put tennis as top five sports in the world, together with basketball, you know, together with soccer, yeah, sure. even um, even even golf, as, as it is, right? And yeah, as in golf, it's not even. I mean, it's it's not even close. It's. Um, it's really, really far um, as 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 a player who is uh, as an ex-player, but somebody who still comes to a few events, few tennis tournaments a year. Um, I'm talking to um, you know I'm talking to to all the players. Uh, as, as you mentioned, they're all my my you know my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, and there is there is a huge um, you know there's a huge income uh, inequality if you want to say it in a more political or business jargon. Uh, and there is really, really huge discrepancy uh, of the top guys and, and lower-ranked guys. 
and in, in general there is um you know you know as i said like unless you are really top 30 or top 4 in the world in tennis it's really really hard to make a living there's no more sponsorships uh deals as they were maybe 10 15 20 years ago um and um you know it's it's um definitely much much harder to to make money and on on the other hand your team because it's becoming more competitive your team now has like two or three or four people where before you you know if you you probably had just a tennis coach now right, you have to right. have a tennis coach a physical trainer a masseur and you know and a part-time nutritionist for you to come because it is so competitive because everybody are investing so, uh in themselves in their career but obviously that means that you know your your profit is is um yeah, exactly. Is there anything we can do here? Or is this just the you know the the market is what the market is? I mean, I mean, is there is, is there yeah? Is, is, can you hear me? Yeah, here. Yeah, so, here. so so is there any way to correct this? Is there any way to address this, or is this just the invisible hand? I mean, this is just the market acting the way a market does, and it creates these inequalities. And um, I mean, is is there anything that can be done correctively? Um, I mean. As I said, like obviously the one of one of the big things is, is try to grow the sport. Um, you know, you feel by by growing the sport, I mean, you know, getting getting those people and followers that that are paying the tickets, that are paying the channel, that are coming. Um, you know, that everything helps because then the players get marketable. Um, there, there's more money on the table, and that's that's the first step. Um, that's what you see in the NBA, NFL. That's the something that um, um, you know. That's what they did, and that's why they've been growing exponentially for you know for last ten, fifteen years. And I would like to see tennis doing this, the you know doing more. Um, as you know, like recently the NBA announced the biggest TV deal in the history. <laughs> right. Um, right. Obviously, you know players are taking some pay cuts. Um, you know, if there was a free market. Who God knows how much LeBron James would take, but there's a salary cap, which means it's distributed more equally. There are a lot of, um, you know, tennis is individual sport, and there are uh, some unique things about it. But I feel there's also a lot of things that we can learn from from other sports, and and um, you know, follow the example of of the main, you know, and and put tennis where it where it does belong and. And I and I think that's top five sports in the world. And you worked at the NBA one summer, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. So you saw this. Uh, are, are you uh, are are you friendly with t- with Tony Kukoc as well? Who's I think he's from your hometown, right? From Split. Yes, Tony. Tony. Tony, and uh, he's from my hometown. And Dino Raja is from uh, who played for the Boston Celtics. Um, he's from Split as well. So we have a really strong tradition of basketball. So yes, I've been. I've been following uh, basketball same as as I follow tennis. Uh, that's why it's it's such a unique experience for me to go to Madison Square Garden, or because um, I remember waking up at three or four a.m. in Croatia during the war time. Uh, we barely had a signal, but you know, followed um, MJ, Scottie Pippen, and and Kukoc play for the right. Bulls, playing the playing playing uh, Knicks. Uh, with Pat Ewing and 
John Starks and and uh, you know Pat Riley's team from uh, you know from the '90s. So that was watching that as a kid, and now being able to you know go almost like a few times a month. It's uh, it's, it's special for me. Hey everyone, it's Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. It is also tennis season. We've got some Australian Open tune-ups going on on the other side of the world. But these four NFL games, they're going to be great. But don't just watch on TV. If you live in the relevant market, SeatGeek is the best way to find your ticket. Hey, you in Houston, Texas, Cincinnati, Minnesota, and Washington, D.C. Yes, really, Washington, D.C. The Redskins actually are in the postseason. Download the app. Use the code BEYOND, get 20 bucks back from SeatGeek, and actually go to the games. Here's how it works. It's very simple. Download the app again. Enter the code BEYOND, make your first purchase, and SeatGeek sends you $20 back via check or PayPal. SeatGeek, again, like Kayak for airline tickets, pulls all the options out there and puts them into one conglomerated place to buy and save you time. SeatGeek allows you to know the fair market value of every ticket, and then it helps you find the best deal. Again, you want to go to some NFL games this week. It's very easy. Download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code BEYOND, and SeatGeek will send you back 20 bucks once you've made that first purchase. NFL wildcard, some college football title game, good concerts. I suspect if you were in Australia, you could even use SeatGeek app to get in on some tennis. SeatGeek app, enter our code BEYOND, get 20 bucks back. If pro football is your game, the MMQB podcast gets you ready for wildcard weekends with Robert Klemko, Andy Benoit, and now our new Grantland hire, Robert Mays. They're all in the NFL podcast. They've done two special episodes, a Star Wars extravaganza with Chris Conley of the Chiefs and a three-city tour of St. Louis, San Diego, in Oakland, any one of which, or two of which, could lose their team to L.A. by next season. The MMQB podcast. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SI.com backslash podcast. You know, I, I think a lot of Americans learned about conflict in the Balkans through Kukoc and Vlade Divac. And they, they made a, a 30 for 30, and it was always a big theme of uh, in, in the 90s. Croatia and, and Serbia, and it was sort of animated through these these two athletes. W- when you're a, a Croatian player like that, did, did you have a sense of what people did or didn't know about your country? We, we were talking about this. I'll tell you, we were talking about this with Djokovic, saying like everybody understands Rogers from Switzerland, and it's the Alps and chocolate and watches, and everybody knows Spain. But Djokovic says I'm from Serbia, and people don't necessarily have a great concept of, of what that country is all about did, did you feel that way coming from croatia yeah i mean it's it's a very it's a very similar uh, upbringing that um you know all of us from ex-yugoslavia had because yugoslavia has been a country for many years so people abroad you know if they if they knew about it they, they knew it by the name of yugoslavia right and then all of a sudden now there is you know, Croatia, Serbia, Slovenia, like God knows how many how many countries and it was very confusing for a lot of people who were, you know, following those conflicts because they they first of all it was uh, you know, far away, uh, if you were living in the States or Australia or Asia. Um and then secondly there were just so many new names uh, that you were just trying to figure out what is who and what's happening. 
but I would just, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it was it was difficult because, you know, you always felt, um, you know, that you need to, you know, promote your country and you need to explain what it is and you need to, um, you know, say where it is geographically. Yeah, right, <laughs> um, I mean, right, exactly. But I, say, but I would say now it's... Um, Croatia has been known for one of the best touristic places in the world. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Uh, every year I organize a sailing trip with a bunch of my friends from school. I think there has been like at least a hundred or more people from Colombia going to Croatia in the last few years. Um, and then also in, in New York City, there's a lot of people who either they left to Croatia for summer or some of their friends or they heard or it's been it's been you know in, in New York Times and Wall Street Journal they wrote, wrote very nice things about it so right. people see it as, as a great destination now to go and have a vacation and I feel that's that's um, you know together with a lot of athletes uh, which was you know Croatia was very recognized of it's something that brings people there and then they can start learning about um, you know how old uh, the towns are and the whole culture and history uh, uh, of that uh, area. Exactly. I, I always feel like it's, it's it's sort of an overlooked part of, of Djokovic, though, that, that he has to, you know, pe- people don't necessarily understand his his homeland and his country, and it's sort of an other burden that, that he carries that maybe Murray and Federer and, and Nadal don't have to. Let, let me ask you, if people, if people, I think you say to the average tennis fan, Mario Ancic, and they probably, first of all, I suspect would say 2002 Wimbledon. Do you agree with that? Um, maybe. I mean, I it's, it's tough for me. I think I had much more, much more other success, and I think coming to top ten is, is uh, yeah. Well, I was gonna, that, that was my question. Twenty one, twenty two. Exactly. But I, I would say, I would say probably it is something that opened the door for me to. The tennis world, right? But I, but I was going to say, um, so obviously that year you you beat Roger Federer. Federer, of course, wouldn't lose again at Wimbledon for you know six more years. But I, I always feel it's different that a- athletes don't always perceive their career the way fans do. I mean, when you look back at your career, w- what do you want to be recognized for? What are some of the highlights to you? I mean, highlights for me was definitely um, you know being part of you know being a solid part of top ten while I was, you know, 21, 22, um, which today's standards seems like extremely young. And there, there was the whole career for me, but I was already there. So that's some, something for me that I am extremely proud. Uh, obviously, not, not knowing where my peak would be, because its peak is usually 27, 28, 29. Uh, I never had a chance to, to play it, um, that late. And then something that I'm really, as, as a Croatian, uh, proud is winning a Davis Cup and winning the Olympic medal. Um, those are things that, you know, I, I look back as, as um, something really important for me, for my country. For, as, as we mentioned, coming from a small country, is, is a way, being an athlete is, is kind of a way of being an ambassador and, and promoting it, promoting to the world. Um, so I feel those those few things would be something that I hope fans you know recognize me and um, you know when they when they hear when they hear my name and 
probably that's something that rings the bell. <laughs> and now, now they hear uh, now they hear Credit Swiss too. You won the. Um, tell me if I'm wrong here. We we do this podcast with no notes, but you you won that Olympic medal with Roger Federer's coach. Did you not? Am I right on that? Yes, yes, I did. With Lubitsch, yes, I did. Yes, I did. What, yes, what, 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 did you, what do you think of that? What do you think of that arrangement? We're talking. We're talking about Lubitsch and Federer, obviously. What, what do you think of that arrangement? Um, I'm, in a way, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I think even I know him really well. Um, he's five years older than me, but I remember him. My brother played with him in a, in a Croatian junior team, so I know him basically since I was twelve, thirteen. He's extremely hardworking guy, and. Uh, you know, very dedicated to to the game of tennis. He achieved a lot. He was ranked number three in the world. Uh, we were, you know, our our fates kind of went together in winning the Davis Cup and the Olympic medal together. Um, so we're, you know, we stay close, and there's something that kind of bonds us together. So I, I know him well, and I think this this is a great thing for Roger. Uh, they are really close friends, Roger and Ivan. Um, and they have been since even played. So um, I think that's something that obviously Roger now needs at at this stage of his career. Uh, somebody that you know understands him, somebody that's close to age to him, uh, but also I think somebody who will bring that you know current tennis experience because even played against most of them as well. Right, right, right. Um, so I so I think that. Um, you know, experience that Ivan had and, and uh, you know, basically playing with current, all the current top players um, is something that I think could be very beneficial for both of them. And as I said, also, at this stage of, of Roger's career, he, I'm sure he needs somebody who also, like, understands him, who can confine him, who needs a friend, and, you know, and they've been really close for, for a lot of years. So, um, you you like know, I really one. wish them luck. And I think and I think it will work well. All right, last question. How many majors is Djokovic winning in twenty sixteen? Um you, you got five choices. Zero to four. Yeah. Um I would I mean we're 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 obviously talking that he's healthy and then he doesn't have any injuries that's throughout a, yeah, the season. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. But uh yeah, let's, yeah, let's I mean, assume if, if everything assume goes health. if everything goes well and there's no any ups and downs. Uh, regarding his health, um, I see him. I see him a favorite in you know all four slams, and I would say that he will, um, you know, he will win three. So same as uh, same as twenty fifteen. Same same as this year. Same as this year. You 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 want to uh, speculate which one he doesn't pull out, or you want to you want to just stick um, with three? I would. I would. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel I feel um, Roger has one more in him. Uh, that's maybe just my feeling. Um, I could be wrong, but I I feel Roger. I, I feel like Roger is still the man to beat. And I and I would um, obviously Wimbledon has has been his his uh, his backyard and somewhere where he feels the most comfortable. So I would I would say um, you know interesting. If I have to give, if I have to say, I would say Roger, you know, could could win, could uh, win Wimbledon. I like that. Um, all right, this is great. You're you're outside. It's cold out. 
Um, this was terrific. We'll, we'll have dinner after the Super Bowl, but uh, thanks, thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm going to Australia to get warm. I wish uh, you, you were still playing, but sounds like the working world is treating you well. Corporate America is, is streaming well. Thanks a lot. I'll be working hard here in New York. Uh, in my free time, I'll be watching Australia. I'll be uh, <laughs> get up early. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll envy you for for having that uh, warm weather there while while we're freezing here or, or on on uh, on the East Coast. And um, you know, I'll be I'll be following. I'll be a, you know number one fan. I still have people telling me. When I'm, you know, I was I was home for for Christmas, and they asked me my my friends and my coworkers, they're like, "What do you do when you're home?" And I said, "I I play tennis with who? With people in the club?" And they say, "You're still a tennis fanatic," <laughs> and I am. I mean, I I just am. I'm a, uh, I breathe and live, um, you know, tennis still. I I follow it in, with my heart. Um, I'm there as a, as a number one fan, and uh, you know, it's it, it's great for me to still see my my friends doing so well. We need more of you. Go make a killing at Credit Suisse and then come back to tennis. But uh, that was great. That was, uh, that, that was a pleasure. We'll, uh, I'm going to go into the warmth for a few weeks, and then, uh, and then we'll reconnect. But thanks, thanks for doing this. This was great. Okay. All right. Take care. Take care, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everyone. That was Mario Ancic, Croatian former top tenor, all-around good guy, only 31 years old. He is now an investment banker at Credit Suisse. He will do just fine for himself, but maybe he'll end up back in tennis one day. That's our first podcast of 2016. We'll have more to come. Lindsay Davenport is coming next week. We'll try to do a few of these from Melbourne. Have a good week, everyone. See you in seven days.